Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello? This is the Five Great British Horror Films podcast series. Welcome to another Breakfast.com podcast. My name is Stuart Wright, and today we've got a returning guest. Welcome to the show, Graham Skipper. Hello, thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. It is a, I don't know what it's like in LA, but in London right now, we're having, we're having our summer for the moment, so it's very, very hot. Yeah, you know, it's, it's warm here too. It finally, finally got a little warm. It was kind of chilly for a while, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's bright and sunny outside here as well. Good man. Well, look, last time we spoke was, I was looking back at my records, so August 2017, when you were coming to the UK with your film Sequence Break, so um, I guess... How was the how was the journey post fright fest then um, with sequence Ray? Where did it take you? Um, gosh, it was amazing. Uh, got to go to a few more festivals after that. Got to go to the really wonderful uh, Night Visions Film Festival in Helsinki, uh, where I'd never been before. Um, got to go to, to uh, the Torino Film Fest in in Torino, Italy. Um, you know, and and then we uh, premiered on Shutter, and uh, the film is up on Shutter now, and the response has been. Uh, really great, um, very uh, uh, exactly sort of what I want. It's been divisive, you know. A mm. lot of people really love it. Some people are are uh, uh, <laughs> get vehemently angry at it, uh, which is hilarious to me. Um, but uh, I I am really proud of the film, and um, you know, Shutter has been a wonderful home for it, uh, and they've been just incredible to work with, and uh, that's where it is now. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a great journey, and I'm. Very grateful and itching to get back into the director's seat. Good man, good man. And is, is anything else, anything new going on that you want to tell us about before we, we dive into Five Great British Horror Films? Um, yeah, uh, you know, I have a film uh, that I produced that I also acted in called Bliss, okay. uh, which is Joe Begas' new film. Um, and that is on the festival circuit right now. Um, and so, you know, I definitely want people to keep their eyes open for that. What's, that, is, what's that one about? It is a fucking crazy hallucinatory drug fueled ride uh it's about uh an an artist in la uh who is hooked on a drug called bliss um that that uh uh, warps her mind and when she's in her crazy blackout drug fueled states she finds that she also has a lust for blood um and uh, and things go things go wild after that it's sort of i sort of describe it like um, like if Gaspar Noé, uh, you know, directed uh, an, an Abel Ferrara movie, um, is, well, is sort of how it me feels. Sold, then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's great. Um, uh, Joe did an amazing job with it. I'm really proud to be a part of it. So yeah, Bliss is on the festival circuit right now, and it's mm-hmm. going to come out through Dark Sky Films sometime this year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. Um, and uh, and then yeah, and, and you know, back here in LA. Um, I just want to talk about. I've been doing this thing called Rated R Horror Speakeasy. Okay, what's that? Um, it's a it's a, a essentially a pop up horror bar and party um, that happens about every six weeks here in LA. Um, we have a big warehouse space, and uh, it's a home for horror fans uh, in the non Halloween season um, to come and drink and watch movies. And you know, we have a whole video arcade full of only horror games. Um, we have you know horror movie music playing all night with with DJs that specifically are only playing music from horror films. Um, 
so it's super fun. And, uh, you know, our, our goal is to, uh, to, to end up, you know, bringing it to other cities. We brought it to uh, Chicago and Cinepocalypse already. Mm. Um, and we're uh, hoping to bring it to other festivals and other cities around the globe. So I just want to make sure that people know about it. And obviously, as you know, like I'm a big fan of London and a big mm. fan of Fright Fest. And um, so one of my major goals is to bring Rated R to London sometime. Um, so, you know, people can look at ratedrspeakeasy.com and sign up for the mailing list and, you know, just sort of follow what's happening. And if anybody knows of a cool spot in London that wants to host a big horror party, uh, then we're game. Cool. Well, look, we'll put links in the show notes so people can investigate that themselves as well. Cool. Thanks. Well, look, let's, uh, let's dive in then to your, uh, your five great British horror films. Now, yes. uh, just, just before we begin, just in case the person listening is just is hearing this for the first time. The rules are simple. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about five films, and each film is we're gonna spend five minutes on them. And every time we hear this sound, which is the beautiful tones of Eddie Broughton Band singing "Out Demons Out," that's when our five minutes are up, and we're gonna move on to the next film. Because my aim with this is to hopefully spend equal amount of time on each film rather than spend too much time getting excited about one and then going, oh, by the way, there's another four films. So that's my, my raison d'etre there. Um, they're British films, but they're British films as determined by, by, by the guest. I'm not a dogmatic uh, host. I just want to talk about films and find out new things and hear people's personal stories around those films, which I think is, and that's what we, I mean, just thinking about your speaking, your horror speaking, you know, it's, it's as much as, as, a, as a kind of inclusive experience and personal memories as it is, on the you know that kind of basic surface entertainment, isn't it? Sure. You know we we take we take things. I mean, in some ways, this is why I like doing this show is because I love talking to people about their memory of what they saw, as much as I want to know exactly what they think. You know, is a it's kind of a nice way to to look at movies to see what, sure. what's actually stuck in the brain, as it were. Well, look, let's dive in with your first choice, which is, and it's a film that I discovered through doing the podcast. Funny enough. Uh, which is always, which is one one of the reasons I do this. Which is uh, Deathline from nineteen seventy two. So, do you want to tell us a bit about how you come across this movie? Yeah, um, Deathline, uh, also known as Raw Meat mm -hmm. uh, in the US. Um, I came about uh, watching this for the first time um, uh, when I was on tour with Sequence Break, actually at the Ithaca uh, Fantastic Film Fest um, in Ithaca, New York, um, and Gary Sherman was there presenting. Uh, the the and Gary Sherman's of course the director yeah. um, presenting the, uh, uh, the there was a new you know 4K beautiful scan that had been done of the film and so I had never seen it and I had heard about it but I didn't really know much about it um, and in fact I knew nothing about it and I went and watched it and this movie just blew me away <laughs> it's like this movie I I you know you hear a, a title like Deathline or Raw Meat. You know, and you, you sort of think that it's going to be um, something, I don't know what the word is, like, like uh, 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 you know, something, something uh, uh, exploitative or silly or whatever. Um, and, and yeah, it's certainly, you know, a fun movie. But like things like that scene with Donald Pleasance and Christopher Lee, where they're having this really bizarre, you know, extended conversation uh, that, that, you know, only has two angles that just keeps getting closer and closer and closer on the two of them. Um, it's stuff like that, that made me, you know, go, wow, this is really the work of an artist that is, is that the one that's um, in, is that the one in the, in the kind of suburban living room? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> I was just going, what, a, what an odd, interesting choice. And, and actually in the Q and a after, um, I'm, I'm probably going to, you know, butcher this, but Gary Sherman, you know, was asked about that. Um, about that scene in particular and why he chose to shoot it in such a way where, you know, it, it was, it's, it's just two, it's just a camera straight on both guys and it just keeps getting closer and closer. And he said, essentially it was because Donald Pleasance didn't want to appear so much shorter than Christopher Lee, which he was in actuality. Right. And so, <laughs> and so he had to shoot it straight on and, but it works so well. Well, um, the, the happy accident there though is, is cause it's, it's all about class as well, that scene. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's these two guys that are, um, you know, that, that are, are squaring up against each other 
uh, that, that, like you said, are, are clearly uh, in, in, in a situation where normally they, they wouldn't even be talking to each other. Hmm. Um, I, I really, yeah, I, I really like this movie. It was really fun. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of the, it, it's sort of, I guess you might describe it like the hills have eyes in the underground. Yeah. I mean, um, well, if you look at Chris Smith's creep, I mean, he, he, it's arguably, he's arguably took quite liberally from this film. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's yeah, that's a good point. And also, I mean, in Britain, you know, it's, I guess the the idea of something growing alone, un, unmanaged in the, you know, the lost tunnels of the tube is, I guess, akin to the sort of urban myths of the the alligator in the New York subways. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. And, or and the, the sewers um, and stuff. There's actually a great um, documentary, and I can't remember the name of it, about um, about the, the – it might be called The Mole People um, – about the so-called mole people um, that live in the abandoned subway tunnels of New York City. Hmm. Um, and and it's, a, it's a real thing. You know, it's, it's a very real thing. So I, I think that for people that live in an urban environment, you know, this is, this is a, a, a sort of way to tap into – you know, the fear that you, you know, the same kind of fear that you might get with like, uh, uh, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or, you know, Hills Have Eyes or or even like Cannibal Holocaust of like a fear of of sort of a, a, another civilization uh, that you're, you, you know, that 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 you suddenly stumble upon. Um, totally. And, you know, and, and I think that being in an urban environment is just really interesting well, we're, meant have... to be, we're meant to be safe, aren't we, from the ravages of, of the wild and the idea of something organically growing amongst the concrete and clay is, Absolutely. is absurd, isn't it? From an acting point of view, how did you see uh, Donald Pleasance's performance? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I, I, so look, you know, of course, I know Donald Pleasance primarily from Halloween and the Halloween series, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and so to see him... And, and I did more research about him after, you know, after seeing this, actually, because I was I was like, oh, gosh, does he have a comedic background? And of course he does. Um, and and that, you know, just his his uh, his comedy in this is is fantastic. Um, and and it, you know, it honestly made me sort of wonder, like, gosh, what if what if Michael Palin had been tapped? To... <laughs> well, I'm glad we got to end that on Michael Palin. That's good. Right then, we're going to fast forward to uh, 1990 now for uh, okay. for Nightbreed. Do you want to talk us through your uh, your reason for choosing this? And I and I should add, you're the you're the first on uh, Nightbreed. So uh, tell us why this That's is a great. film people should pay attention to. Um, Nightbreed. So okay, so I saw Nightbreed first time when I was uh, in high school, I guess, and I had rented. Uh, I, I had rented Nightbreed on VHS because people had talked about it. And, and I, I admit that it didn't really make much of an impact on me. Okay. Um, Clyde Barker took a while for me to really uh, understand and get into. And it wasn't until later when I started reading his novels and started, you know, uh, you know, like when I read The Hellbound Heart and then revisited Hellraiser that I started to fully appreciate um, the the genius that he was really tapping into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a few years ago, when Nightbreed, the director's cut came out, um, I, I went and I saw the, the, the premiere of the director's cut in the theater. And and again, I, I was totally floored um, and it instantly became one of my favorite movies. Um, now, granted, the director's cut is very different than the theatrical cut and I prefer it by quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but I, I guess the, somebody described it to me this way and I think this is pretty apt is that it is the star Wars of horror. It is the, it it is the, the big epic fantasy, um, you know, sort of extravaganza that star Wars is, but for the horror world. Yeah, because the um, monsters and, and humans, it's not the good and the bad isn't always about monster versus human, is it? No, it's not. And especially not in Barker's work. You know, yeah. like Barker is very much, I mean, he's himself, you know, said, I feel like I am a monster. Um, and I think that's what's so beautiful about what he does is, you know, he, he frames his own experience, you know, as a gay man, you know, as an artist, as um, as an outsider uh, in in 
in terms of being a, a monster. And I think he does that so beautifully with Nightbreed, you know, where where we're really I mean, I mean, the lines between who's good and who's bad are really sort of thin. Right. Like, mm. you know, the, the it's not so easy to say, well, the humans are the bad guys. Because although there are some humans who are the bad guys, there are also some really like, you know, fucking nasty monsters who are doing some terrible shit. Mm. Um, and and uh, but then there are also, you know, in, in, in the monster camp, there are also some really beautiful, sympathetic, you know, monsters that are just trying to live or just trying to do the right thing. Um, so so I. I I really love it. And what I love, too, is the implication of the larger world and the larger mythology that we don't get a chance to see mm. um, that that just, you know, sort of titillates <coughs> my imagination and makes me want to know more about it. Um, it's it's a really fantastic movie. And, you know, people, I, I think, sort of dismiss Clyde Barker as a director. Like, I can't tell you how often I hear people say, like, oh, Lord of Illusions is a piece of garbage. And I'm going, well, it's, no, it's not. You know, you just say that because of, like, the shoddy CGI at the end of it. You know, it's it's a movie with a really interesting, some really interesting ideas. Um, you know, and, and Hellraiser, I think, is an undeniable classic. Mm. You know, but but what people don't, don't think about Hellraiser is that, you know, it, imagine if today an indie filmmaker, you know, came out with a movie that's essentially like a, an, a, a a movie about adultery, you know, and like this weird family drama, but then inserts like incredible creature effects into it. Mm. Like, like imagine if that, like, like the people wouldn't know what to do with it. And this guy did that in what, 1981. Um, it, it, it's Barker's a genius and his work is amazing. I encourage everybody to read his novel. Can I, can um, I pick up on the point you said earlier though? You said, you, you, now obviously it was, it was originally, there was the theatrical version and then there's the director's cut. Um, but obviously there's also the time between when you saw the theatrical and the time when you see right. the director's cut. So from you as a, I guess, maturer horror viewer, what were you bringing, do you think, to the film that made you see so much more good in it than you hadn't seen originally? That's a good question. I, I think that the, my, my answer to that would be when I was, you know, a young guy watching horror, I was looking for hack and slash fun you know slasher action mm. and and i i think that the deeper themes you know because nightbreed delivers that and it delivers like fun creature effects and stuff of course yeah. but 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 it has so much under the surface and i think that um in the same way as what happened with hellraiser um it it just i needed to mature in order to appreciate I needed to mature in order to appreciate what Barker was really saying. And when I did that, then it hit me as, oh, this guy's made a masterpiece. I, w- I'm, I, would, I, was, I was exactly the same with, um, with Wicker Man. Because like yep. gro- growing up, it was just part of the furniture. So I just, you know, yeah. it was sort of treated like, like it was, you know, commonplace. And then you watch it, you don't pay any attention to it. And I think I was in my mid to late thirties when I sat down to just give it my full attention. And I was like, fucking hell, this is amazing. <laughs> it's like so yeah, the, uh, the whole dude, film transcended on me. <laughs> dude, with Wicker Man, exactly the same with me. It wasn't until I think three years ago that huh? I sat down and I finally rewatched it and went, Oh, I get it now. Like it's, yeah, it's that movie's incredible. Um, yeah. People, pe- if people don't like that movie, just watch it again every couple of years until you get it. And then you'll get it. <laughs> Maybe maybe the, the film's the equivalent of Trap Mass Replica or something. <laughs> <coughs> well look, sir, let's uh, let's jump into the twenty first century now for your uh, okay. for your next choice, I do believe. Um let me just check on the uh, the dates of things as um yep, we're gonna go twenty eight days later, two thousand and two. Yes. Um yeah, I was a sophomore in college. Um, and, uh, or no, 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 I had just, yes, I was, uh, 2002. Okay. So I was, I had just finished my freshman year of college. Um, and I was back home in Texas for the summer and my buddy Rob, uh, who I, I credit with, with introducing me to many horror classics. He introduced me to Dario Argento. He introduced me to, um, uh, to, to so many, you know, filmmakers. Uh, he called me and he was like, Hey, um, uh, who, funnily enough, I know from growing up in church, 
Uh, so he was my church buddy. Um, so my church buddy calls me and says, hey, I hear this movie's uh, pretty good. It's called 20 Ages Later. Let's go see it. So he and I went and saw it in the theater. We were the only two people in the theater in Fort Whoa. Worth, Texas. Um, and we sat down to watch this movie we knew nothing about. And holy shit. I, I, had, I, I had always enjoyed zombie films. Um, and I'd always, you know, found them really fun. Uh, you know, I watched, you know, like Dawn of the Dead was a, a slumber party uh, staple uh, mm-hmm. for me in my childhood. Um, but I mean, watching that movie and feeling so tense and so scared and so um, hoping for rescue for these people. Um, uh, I, I hadn't I don't know that I'd ever felt that before. You know, I, I don't. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I'd ever really seen a truly independent film before. Um, you know, like you, you, you grow up going to see the blockbusters and going to see the studio films, you know, and I guess you could call something like Jaws, like an independent film, sort of. But like the, 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 the homemade quality of 28 Days Later, you know, the fact that it was shot on video and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's the first feature shot on video. Is I that think, correct? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's or, kind or, of... or on, or on digital or yeah, 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 right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and just the, the quality of the filmmaking, you know, I'd never seen a Danny Boyle film before. Um, I, I, I just was, I was, you know, to use this term again, I was blown away. And I, I, do you remember, I, do you remember thinking what your thoughts were that first, the first time you see what essentially is only a film rule, which is zombies are slow. And then suddenly this film goes, no, they're not. Yep. Well, you know, you know what it honestly made me feel like? It made me feel like the first time I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. When when you go, oh, the rules don't matter. Yeah. Um, that's what it felt like. It it because to to see the the fast zombies, that, that scene in the church, mm-hmm. you know, where where they, they suddenly look up at him so fast and it's so jarring. Uh, you know, and then the priest appears and then all of a sudden he's being fucking chased through the streets. Like that that it, it I, I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it because the thing is, you know, in, in other zombie films, they're, they're clearly zombies, right? Like they're, they're blue in the face. They look grotesque. Mm. You know, you're, you're not, you know, it's, it's, it's not a thing that you can like relate with, but in 28 days later, these look like the people that you've just been talking to. They're just full of rage. And and that's a really horrifying prospect to think. Yeah, about. and it's like, and it's also, it's, if I remember rightly, it's like their transformation is a bit like waiting for a Polaroid to get focused, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not. It's not like you have to wait. Like you know, you think oh. of like Dawn of the Dead and the whole kind of period between bite and zombie. Oh yeah, no, the immediacy of it. I mean, that scene where she has to decide: is she going to chop this guy's arm off, you know, or mm. kill him? You know, and and is she going to how fat, you know, she's got to make this decision and she fucking does it because she has to, you know, and that's another thing, too, is like talk about a strong female character. Mm. You know, this is, I, I think, a really complex character. I can't remember her character's name, unfortunately. Um, Which one are you talking about? Selena? No, Harris. Yes, Selena. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yes, Selena. <clears throat> I mean, talk, you know, talk about a complex character where, you know, you have someone whose femininity is obviously at play because the soldiers end up want to essentially use her as like a, I mean, for lack of a better word, like a breeding cow. You know, oh yeah, yeah, wanna, yeah, no, no, totally. Yeah, uh... you, you know, like that's that's what they want to use her for. But she's also someone whose femininity just doesn't fucking matter. You know, she's she's a um, a force to be reckoned with. She teaches um, uh, what's um, what's the the main guy's name? Jim Kelly um, Murphy. Jim, thanks. She teaches him everything. Um, you know, it's it's because of her that he survives. Um, you know, he's he's Killian Murphy is really just sort of floating through this, like hoping to do okay, and of course he comes into his own. <laughs> oh, totally. um, anyway, the movie's it. fucking great. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Right then, jumping a little further into the 21st century to one of my favorites as well is uh, 2005's The Descent. Okay, so can I tell you that I have never in my life been as afraid in a movie theater as when I went to opening day of The Descent. Really? It, never. I was in, it's 2005, right? Yeah. 
So I, I believe it was summer of 2005. <clears throat> I had either just graduated college or July, graduate. July 2005. It was July. Okay. Yeah. So I had, I had just graduated college and I went with my old college roommate uh, in New York, uh, Josh, and he and I, uh, you know, he, we had seen sort of ads for this, knew nothing about it. Um, and if you can see a theme forming among all these films, uh, <laughs> we knew nothing about it. And we went to the theater on 34th Street. And again, we were the only two people in the theater. The only two people. And we, I have never been so fucking tense as when watching that scene when they're crawling through that collapsing tunnel. Oh. I, I was, I was on the, I was literally standing up in my seat. Like I couldn't even sit down. I, and I just went, this is an unbelievable filmmaking. Um, the, the, you know, and, and the, what I love about this movie is that on its own, it's an amazing claustrophobia cave movie, you know, like this could be a whole cave movie and you'd be totally satisfied. But then, like forty-five minutes in, they throw fucking incredible creatures at you, and and they're terrifying, um, you know. And on top of that, you've layered in this sort of like weird adultery subplot, you know, and this like backstabbing, uh, you know, friend subplot. It's so and well, it's so just, well written, isn't it? You know, in terms oh, of it's so good because it because it wants because it, it would have it, it must have been tempting to go no bring the creatures earlier bring the creatures. but instead we get these. We get this whole understanding of these women in their world. We take them into a horrifying experience, which is to get essentially trapped in a cave where the, you know where getting out is not necessarily obvious. And then we bring in the horror. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 amazing. It's so well crafted, and you know it's it's. I mean, it's seriously on par with the original Alien for me. Hmm. Of just in terms of how how perfect the film it is. You know, it's it's so sad. It's so tragic. I think that some of the best horror films are really just tragedies, you know? Um, uh, I, I often, you know, the, the Exorcist was a really seminal film for me in terms of getting into, into horror. And, um, you know, I, I remember when I showed my sister that movie when she was like 13 or 14 and she said, well, you know, eh, I don't think it was scary. Nothing like made me jump. And and I said, well, you got to look at it as the tragedy of what's happening to this poor young girl, you mm -hmm. know, how sad that is. And and then she sort of like changed her mind about it. And and for me, the descent, I mean, talk about, you know, this poor woman like going through what she went through and, you know, losing, you know, the most important thing in her life in that horrifying opening scene. And then and then finding out that, you know, the one sort of rock she has uh well, the two rocks that she has being her husband and her friends um, are neither of them are stable, um, you know, and how do you and, and then you're thrown into this horrible situation. How do you react to that? Um, and I think that the film just explores that question really beautifully. And and, you know, I, I love there, there's, you know, of course, famously uh, two different endings, um, the the American ending and the British ending. Um, and, and funnily enough, you know, the, the, you know, the American ending has her sort of, you know, escape and, and then, mm. spoiler alert, um, has her, has her escape from the cave and then she's driving away in the car and then, uh, the, the character who had, I can't remember her name, who had been cheating on, on, you know, with her husband, uh, then like jumps up as a ghost, you know, mm. in the final moment. Um, and the British ending, uh, the, the original ending is she, uh, ends up just in the cave, you know, looking at this torch as if it's a birthday cake and she never escapes the cave, but she's, uh, you know, in this perfect place, uh, with her daughter on her birthday, uh, in her mind. And, you know, it, the, I guess the American sensibility was that, oh, well, that's, that's obviously the worst ending because she never gets out of the cave. <laughs> and for me, I'm going, are you kidding me? She's going to get out of that cave. And, you know, she, she gets out of that cave and she's haunted by the ghost of like her greatest enemy and and is going to be fucking nuts for the rest of her life. You know, I prefer to be in a delusion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, so it's, it's just funny. I, and I often hate what American studios decide to do uh, in terms of changing endings and things. So uh, that that 
it's just funny to me the sort of like different sensibilities and what they think American uh, audiences want. I mean, say, I mean, I think I mean we'll move on to that one in a minute, but it's, it is like it's you could it's certainly in the twenty first century you can count one hand where where that ability to to sort of f- fiddle with the ending depending on where it's showing is plausible because I think I think now we're only what we're only fifteen years fourteen years on from that film and. With the you know the rise of of the internet, you just I don't think you could pull it off, could you? Now that that sort of separation of, of, of I don't I mean release maybe, you could, maybe you could though because I mean we live in a world where you know I'm sure there's lots of people in America that have no idea let the right one in even exists, you know, and okay. have only seen let me in, or a bunch of people that don't even know that the original girl with the dragon tattoo exists, you know. Uh, there, there's a, there's a lot of uh, I, I don't want to say dumb people, but there's a lot of um, uh, people that are very content with what's put in front of them that don't want to do any sort of extra research. Now, you and I would, uh, but but I think a lot of America just doesn't care. Well, you've, you've, yours is a big country and you get away with that. We have, as is a tiny country, and we have, we still have that kind of inherent conservatism, conservatism with a small c when it comes sure. to uh, consuming um, you know, film, music and whatever. But anyway, sure. such is life. Um, let us jump now to your final and fifth selection, which is uh, Ben Wheatley's uh, Kill List, 2011. <clears throat> yeah, um, again, a, a relatively recent discovery for me. I think I watched this in, I had heard about it, um, you know, and people had told me it was great. And then I think I didn't watch it until probably 2014 or so. Okay. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and again, I, I was just totally floored. You know, I, I hadn't ever seen a Ben Wheatley movie before. Um, I didn't really know anything about him as a filmmaker. Um, you know, I just remember being so sort of caught off guard with that opening scene where we come right into the middle of a huge screaming argument. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that to me is just, you know, it's it's honestly kind of Shakespearean. You know, this idea of you come into the middle of a scene, you know, into the middle of a conversation. Um, Apparently he shot and, that, he shot for about... He shot that scene like continuously, like a documentary. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it feels like that. You know, it feels very just cinema verite. You know, it's it's it, it like it honestly even feels a little bit like the Dogma ninety five stuff. Like just very real. You know, uh, very sort of harsh, like bright fluorescent lighting. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't very... make you think you're in a horror film, does it? You kind of there's no, and it, and it. And that's one of the beauties of it is that you start in this world which is as far removed from what a horror film is, a suburban house. Yeah. Well, and especially where it goes, you know, mm. like to start in that super real place and then they sort of ease you into like kind of a heightened world of like this, you know, the hitman sort of almost like a John Wick universe, you know, yeah. of like there's these hitmen, they got to do what they got to do, you know, but, but even then you buy it because he shoots it so like, like, uh, realistically hmm. and then but, but then i mean the places it goes at the end like like you're you're really you know in the shoes of his character as he's encountering all this stuff that's happening to him um i saw know, that I, I saw it at fright fest when it when it played oh it, wow it premiered at fright fest in 2011 and it was one of those experiences where from a kind of from a writing point of view i was like right someone's just moved the goalposts yeah because absolutely because the transitions between like a, almost like a Ken Loach world <clears throat> to an absolutely terrifying nightmare world joined up for me um but but there's I don't know if you know there's like a, there's a real sort of resistance to the film in uh, in some circles and I I've, I've been fortunate to have Andy Stark on one of the producers of the film and oh. uh, they it, it's this it's the switch you know at the uh, when it becomes the Almost like a folk horror film in in the last third, and and people don't like that. People, uh, Andy Stark said we refer to them now as Act Three deniers because what they'll say wow, is we love the first. They, we love the first two thirds of the film and didn't, and it's almost like they didn't want it to go where it goes. Whereas to me, and the more you watch it, the more it adds up because those dinner party scenes, which feel really normal, once you know what's going on, they are sinister as hell. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing, the trick with the twist ending, right, is that you then need to be able to go back to the start of the film and watch it again and have the whole thing be in a, a new, you know, light for you. Mm. And I think that he does that so beautifully. Like he he lays these hints down that mean absolutely nothing. 
you know, and he does them in a fairly casual way, you know, where where you and, and oh, it's so brilliant because you think that it's part of this weird hitman universe. You know, you're like, OK, well, he's a hitman, you know, and, and so these little symbols must be something like, you know, about being a hitman. And and then by the time you get to the end, of course, you understand everything. I, I you know, something that you said that I think I think is really accurate and, and apt is that, you know, the people that I guess don't like the third act. It, they don't like it because they didn't want it to end that way. <laughs> but I think it's, I, I think that well, one that's irrelevant, but two, um, I think it's, it's interesting because, you know, those people, I think they don't want it to end that way because it's so fucking horrific. You know, it's such a, it's, it's such a turn from from where this guy thought he was going and we're so in his shoes and we're so on his team to try to win but that is also that... but as i was going to say yeah that is also the audience is neil maskell's character you you don't he doesn't know this world exists either and then when it happens right. it's as much a surprise for him as it is us the audience which is the perfect recipe isn't it for a film as far as i'm as, as far as i think of a film oh absolutely i mean yeah it's 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 uh you know, I'm just, I, I will never forget that moment of, of seeing her, you know, his wife come out and, and smiling at him or, well, 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 seeing first the hunchback and you're going, okay, well, here's more weird shit, you know, okay. Mm. Um, but then, but then when it's his wife and, oh man, and, and, oh man, her hump is the kid. Like, it's just, it's so devastating. Um, and and going, and going back to like a writing thing, it's like if you look at the beginning of the film, they have the exact same fight with foam swords in the, in the back garden. It's yeah, the film, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. They the do. film, the yeah, film yeah. is perfectly symmetrical up to where where you get to the middle bit where the ham, the guy who dies horrendously from the hammer, <clears throat> because that's where we lose control. So it's almost like right. we have control up until the hammer death, but 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 basically. The, the out of control almost begins from the point of the point when he has the, 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 the joust in the garden, because that's the, the mirror image of the end, which, yeah. is, which is beautiful. I mean, I don't, I find it, I mean, I can understand being surprised and be disappointed where he didn't go, but then to go and look at it and go, okay, it adds up. Yeah. It's, that, that to me just seems to be kind of like your, your, I don't know. You're not even looking at the film anymore. You're looking at your own personal you know, <laughs> opinion. Um, well, look. Let's but, uh, let's uh, let's do a recap then on uh, on your choices. We had uh, 1972's uh, Deathline, aka Raw Meat, um, and we had um, 1990's uh, Night Clyde Barker's Night Breed. We then jumped into the 21st century for uh, Danny Boyle's uh, 28 Days Later, 2002, then 2005 for The Descent, and then finally Ben Wheatley's 2011 second feature film Kill List. Um, I'm trying to think now. Do you, do you think from this conversation? Can you see any joins between the five choices you've made and how you um, see films? And actually, actually, no. Let me because I didn't get a chance to ask you while we're doing it. So thinking about them in the round, what do you think they say to you as an American about British ideas of horror? That's really interesting. Um, gosh, uh, huh really really good question um i think that uh there's something about about class mm -hmm. in each of these movies um mm -hmm. that is something where, where certainly we have that element in the u.s but it's it's a little um i, so, I, I think there's something about british cinema that highlights more the idea of 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 a class hierarchy mm -hmm. um whereas in america maybe it's it, here, here's what i'll say in in uh in 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 the UK, it feels to me like class is a little bit of a finer line, um, whereas in the US, at least in cinema, what you see is you see either people that are totally downtrodden and like living in trailer parks, or you see like people living in the high rises in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. um, but in in the UK, it's a bit more of a subtle difference. Um, I think and, it's because we still have the Queen, to be honest with you. You still have the what? I think it's because we still have the Queen. Um, blood, sure. Bloodline, bloodline is more important than money in terms of where you are in the strata of Britain, as far as I see it. Whereas I don't see that, ever, although that's, 
you know, you're born into what you're born into in many cases around the world, no matter what. But but in terms of Britain's so-called, you know, meritocracy, it's it's kind of rigged. Yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on. And I, I think, you know, one thing that runs through each of these, you know, films, I mean, you know, of course, in Deathline, you have, you know, sort of the people living on top and then the mm. people literally living on bottom, you know, and then you have Nightbreed, which is about, you know, monsters and, you know, and 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 the top worlders. And then you have 28 Days Later, which, you know, is sort of about people of different classes being for, being forced to be slammed together to survive, mm. um, which I think is where a lot of the conflict comes from. Um, and that's and, the brilliance and, of the ending, because in, a, sorry, in, in sort of the end sequence, in the sense of even when systems collapse and fall down, the first thing British want to do is rebuild systems. So the, yeah. you know, Christopher Eccleston character as an army man, which is the epitome of that sort of idea. It, and and can I actually tag on to that because I it, this was an interesting um, a thought that I had as an American mm-hmm. was when I saw that final moment of the plane flying over them you know and they're so happy to see the planes you know flying over I 100% thought oh this is the Americans and they're about to nuke the UK. <laughs> That's a really interesting idea. Yeah, I, that was my that, that, that was my first. I went oh they're they're about to die. That's, you know, the Americans are going to fucking nuke them because who cares? Um, so there is a little bit of cultural uh, sensitivity for you. Um, um, yeah, but but then, you know, in, in the descent, I think class even, you know, works in here because, you know, I, I, I certainly, you know, obviously I'm not British, but I know enough about about the UK to know that that um, uh, different regional accents are mm. kind of like major signifiers. Of course, yeah. Um, and and uh, you know and and honestly, I think that's a lot due to my my obsession with Monty Python growing up and sort of learning about you know like a John Cleese accent versus a, a Terry Jones accent, you know. Um, uh, but the 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 just knowing that the different women who were all friends had different accents um, that were down in the cave together, and this might be a totally wrong read of this, uh, but even as an American. You know, and of course I was, you know, this was after I graduated college, like I, I knew, you know, a bit about British culture. Um, it was something that sort of, you know, clicked for me of going like, you know, oh, these are people that all kind of, you know, it's like me and my friends growing up where, yeah. you know, we, we all kind of came from different backgrounds, but we're friends regardless. Um, you know, and, and even then, then you have the sort of other layer of the crawlers versus the humans, um, you know, and, 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 you know you're you're in Appalachia in America. So then there's also the added kind of like subtext of, you know, the miners and, you know, the Native Americans. And those are the people that live down in the caves. It is, that is, because yeah, you, 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 you've really, you, you've picked like almost like five horror films, which if, if you, if you made them literal, they could just be, um, what do you call it? Um, upstairs and downstairs, you know, the whole, um, I'm trying, sure. think, I'm trying to think of the bloody iconic TV show that Britain sells around the world. Posh people living in a... Not Gosford, Gosford Park's the film, but... Oh, uh, Downton, Downton Abbey. Yeah, Downton Abbey. You know, the whole idea of who lives on the top and who lives below. But then horror film, take that, take those take those tropes and turn it into something much more horrifying. And it's like, what if, what if the people below or the people that aren't you begin to take, take the uh, upper hand to you? What do you do then? Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's scary. You know, I'm reminded right now, one of my first uh, introductions to anything UK was when I was a kid and I saw a production of Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. And and there's a, an, an amazing line in that show uh, where Mrs. Lovett, you know, is is Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney are singing about, uh, you know, baking people into meat pies. Uh, and and it's uh, 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 I, I can't remember the lead into it, but it's essentially, you know, when those above. Um, will serve those down below, mm. and and it's uh, it's just a really you know thinking about it in this context, it's really interesting to see that this really is kind of a through line in you know in British horror and and kind of what does that say and and what does that you know what does that mean and I'm I'm not you know I'm not sure and I I don't want to comment on it because I'm not British, um, but I think it's an interesting thing to note and. You know, something that's obviously, I mean, 
you know, here's the evidence right here, like that, that, that's a, that, that is a constant sort of theme. Um, well, no, and, I think, know, and, you know, and, and maybe you, that's just a universal theme. I was going to you know? say, cause I mean, let's be honest, Jordan Peele's Us is, is playing with exactly that, isn't it? It's he's absolutely. Well, the things, well, that they, the know, things that we ignore, the people we don't like to see or admit exist are the things we're most scared of at the same time. You know, it's like... Sure. Well, and then in America, obviously, race is a major factor, mm. you know, like, and that's not something that I, at least I don't think that's as much, you know, an, an element in in British, it's, you know... It's, in, it's different, but yeah, it's not, it's not as, it's not as pointed as, um, as you might experience it in America. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I, I think that it's, it's taken quite a while for, uh, for, American horror cinema to kind of catch up with that idea. I mean, we, we don't until recently, like we don't have, you know, like, like uh, with a few exceptions, we don't have horror cinema that is, is primarily, you know, that is an all black cast or, you know, or, or features, you know, Asian Americans or features, you know, uh, Latino folks or whatever. Um, and, and now because of Get Out, because of that movie's brilliance, um, I think we're, you know, starting to see, you know, people starting to tell those stories, um, in a different way, but it's just interesting because like, you know, Hollywood, you know, has, has been dominated for so long, frankly, by white people. Mm. And, and those are the stories that have been told. Um, and, and I think that, you know, whereas in the UK you have, you know, a, a cinematic history where people have been sort of grappling with these questions of, of class and of, of, you know, like the, the hierarchy of, of society uh, for a long time. Um, you know, if, if we look at cinema as sort of a cultural like language that we use, um, America hasn't really had that conversation yet. Um, we, we haven't talked about it. And I think Jordan Peele with Get Out he really did. He finally sort of like rang the big bell and said, yeah, this is a thing. Let's talk about it. Um, you know, like just just yesterday, I saw the premiere of of a film uh, called Culture Shock directed mm -hmm. by Gigi Saul Guerrero. Um, and uh, it's it's going to premiere on Hulu as part of their Into the Dark series. Yeah. Um, but it's all about um, a, a group of Mexican immigrants that are trying to cross the border into the U.S. illegally. Um, and and it goes to some truly bonkers places. But but I think that, you know, it's it's uh, applicable here because, you know, again, these are horror stories that. Well, Gigi said it best in her Q&A afterwards, which was, uh, uh, you know, somebody asked her about, like, you know, being an immigrant herself and and, you know, about this being her horror story. And she said, well, I think it's everyone's horror story. Um, and I think that that is the most poignant thing, um, you know, said that night, which is true, is that, you know, it's it is everyone's horror story. And and that's why we love horror is because we're able to talk about these things, um, the, these big societal sort of questions. Um, yeah, because I mean, I felt the same watching um, Tigers Are Not Afraid. <clears throat> yep. I don't know if you saw that one. But, oh, I did. I loved it. I mean, I, I, at the end of the film and I watched it with my wife. Um, and she, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe Tiff as a horror aficionado. So when she, when she likes a film uh, that, that you would put into the horror genre, it's generally something that's got a little bit more to say. And we both agreed. It was like, if you can watch that film and you're a habitual cocaine taker and not feel like you're killing people through your right. for your hedonism, then there's something right. wrong with you. Because that yeah. film didn't have to say it explicitly because all of the drama pans out over the chaos that's caused by a supply and demand problem that first world has over cocaine, you know, it's like, and that's the chaos in the country where it's done. Um, yeah. People dying as a result of what essentially is, you know, a hit at a party. <laughs> well, well, I, yeah. I mean, and, and the, you know, the same thing with, with culture shock, you know, there's a whole huge section of the film that's about, you know, just the journey of trying to cross the border illegally. Mm. And it's fucking terrifying. It's so scary. And it, you know, it made, I, I, I thought to myself while I was watching and I went, I hope that every single person that is, you know, one of these diehard, like, you know, anti-immigrant, you know, people. Build, build a wall, US, build a wall. Brigade. Yeah, build the build a wall people. Like, I hope that they all watch this because it gives such a great perspective of what these people are going through. 
you know, and and of course, you know, our current administration is, you know, sort of blanket, you know, referring to a, a bunch of people as rapists and murderers, mm. you know, and and it's it's obviously not that simple. Um, and and I think cinema and especially horror cinema um, is a great way to to have that conversation and bring it up. Um, and, yeah, and it's, make it's quite, twice. I was going to say it's clever at that, isn't it? Um, but let's uh, let's draw this to a close. Uh, thank you very much for uh, giving us your time. Before we do, uh, what's the what's the tell us about Bliss again? Where's Bliss? Uh, Bliss is on the film festival circuit. Uh, it will be coming out through Dark Sky Films sometime later this year. Uh, directed by Joe Begas, uh, it's really fantastic. Seek it out. Um, and. Uh, Gosh, yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and, the speak, you, and the speakeasy. Yeah, and so uh, rated our speakeasy.com. Uh, if you're interested at all, uh, you know, sign up for the newsletter, get some info, look at some fun pictures. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. You can look us up and Instagram and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, keep, po- you know, keep track of it. And, and you know, I'll, uh, you know, ping you certainly if we ever get the opportunity to bring something out to the UK. I would certainly love to do that. And um, yeah, thank you for having me on. This was really fun. And I always enjoy talking films with you. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.